from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Chow. If after-school special or Degrassi rings a bell, chances are high you've seen one of those TV episodes that broached subjects that were hard to talk about. Things like unplanned pregnancy, parent divorce, running away from home. They might have even been topics a health teacher or school counselor brought up because a lot of life can happen in your teen years. For Hazelwood East High School student Kathy Kuhlmeyer, articles on such subjects belonged in the school newspaper, which she served as editor in 1983. Hazelwood administrators did not agree. Ultimately, Kathy took the school to the U.S. Supreme Court. But in 1988, nearly 35 years ago, the court ruled by a 5-3 to decision that public schools have the right to censor students' free speech, creating a landmark limit on the First Amendment. And Kathy Kohlmeyer is here to talk about being censored in 1983 and being named plaintiff in a case that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and has affected her life ever since. Kathy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You were the editor of Hazelwood East High School's student paper, The Spectrum, in the early 80s. What is the backstory to the 1983 issue of The Spectrum that resulted in the principal censoring what was in it? We had wanted to do some more in-depth stories than what the typical fluffy type paper article stories that ran in the spectrum. We typically would run stories about the prom king and queen or the football team and those type of things. And we wanted to identify some more deeper source type stories. So we had gone back to the, in journalistic terms, what is called the morgue, which is a a section that was in the classroom devoted to past story editions, um, perhaps ideas that never ran. And we came across a paper from 10 years prior underneath a different principal, Dr. Negri, that had run, and those were the exact topics we wanted to talk about. It was teen pregnancy, divorce, marriage, and runaways. And we identified that as being relevant to things that were going on in our school, and we chose to make that the the theme of our paper. Mm -hmm. And can you talk about how that censorship happened? Sure. Um, We had been working with our uh, advisor, Mr. Sturgis, and partway through working on these articles, Mr. Sturgis left and went into private industry, and that was pretty devastating to us because he was the teacher that hopefully most kids have had in their careers that they could connect with. Um, But we had been moving the process along with the articles, getting them ready. And after he left, they brought in the uh, advisor from Hazelwood Central High School, um, Mr. Emerson. And it was his practice at his school that he would take the paper down to the principal for prior review. But in our first semester, as preparing to become a journalist, we had learned that prior review, prior restraint wasn't okay. And we also learned about the First Amendment case, Tinker versus Des Moines, where students did not shed their rights at the schoolhouse gate. So when it was Mr. Emerson's practice to take the articles to Mr. Reynolds, the principal, for review, um, they decided that the articles were too mature and for an immature audience, and therefore they chose not to run the articles. So I understand that over time, 
your your understanding of why the stories were cut that that changed talk a little bit about that well initially we after the paper was censored we went down and we spoke with mr reynolds and asked for his you know explained to us what's going on this isn't the paper that we produced we don't want to sell this paper and he came back with that comment that the articles were too mature for an immature audience and i asked him and made the comment i said if you're old enough to get pregnant shouldn't you be old enough to read about it because it's not the articles didn't have the content of saying this is the how to's and the why for's of pregnancy in high school it was more of think about your decisions before you potentially impact a whole lot of other people in your world um and he said, well, if you don't sell the paper, you won't have the next edition. And that next edition to be published was the senior accolades paper. And so they, the seniors took a vote on it, and they opted to go ahead and sell the paper. Um, but his justification at that point was just the, the sensitive nature of the, the stories. But years later, um, I have crossed paths with him again about 10 years ago, and we were at a symposium at University of Missouri, Kansas City at the law school with the top five First Amendment cases in the country. And Mr. Reynolds was posed the question of, so why did you really cut the articles? What what happened? And he said, oh, actually, I never really read the articles. It was a budget problem. We didn't have the money to publish the articles and there was an audible gasp in that room because people recognize the fact you've changed the course of history and here you are saying you've never actually read the articles. So it was a, a revision that you learned about that really changed your view on what happened. Correct. Mm-hmm. The stories themselves, can you tell us what the stories themselves were, were who they were about? Sure, absolutely. The teen pregnancy story, um, we we had a large population in our high school. There was about 2,500 students there. And on any given time, there were probably 30 to 40 young ladies that were pregnant in the school. And we chose that story because, again, we wanted to identify to the, the students that, you know, this is a, a choice that's impacting more than just you and was hoping to get the girls to reconsider teen sex. Um, out of the, the group of girls that we talked to, we settled on three girls and their stories were all very different accounts of what they were experiencing. And one girl was basically it was sunshine and rainbows and she couldn't wait to have an, a baby. The other girl we chose was, okay, I'm pregnant and I have to deal with it. And the third one was like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I could have allowed to happen in my life. But we inserted a blurb to the beginning of the story that said all of the names had been changed because we wanted to protect their identities. And then we also went so far as to remove every single name in that entire two-page spread. So there was no identifying marks within there unless someone intimately knew the people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we went so far as to make sure that all of the comments were accurate. So once the articles were written, we took the stories back to those that were involved on it. We said, if everything is correct, would you review it and sign off on it so we know that it's accurate? And then because most of the students were minors, we said, let's go one step further. Would you also take it home to your parents and let your parents review to make sure they're on board with it? If they are, ask your parents also to sign it. So we were doing the right and responsible things as a journalist, which we were taught, to make sure all of our sources were accurate and all of the comments were accurate with what we were putting into the paper. So you went through a very rigorous process, clearly, 
And you were at the time a junior in high school, and this is with a a group of fellow teenagers that which is quite remarkable. If you think about um, sometimes adult journalists and how they they fail to live up to those standards. Now, as a junior in high school, starting to fight censorship of student journalism, it was the start of a, a long fight. And by the time the decision came down, you were already a senior in college. You know, what was it like to follow that case through so much of your education and young adult life? Well, it didn't go exactly as planned because I went away to college at Southeast Missouri State, and at going back in time that far, uh, cell phones weren't really a thing at that point. So the attorney failed to keep in contact with me, and I didn't know what was going on. Um, so as this case is gaining momentum and it's now into the U.S. Supreme Court, I didn't know about it. So the case that carries my name that's been a part of my life now for 40 years, wow. I wasn't present at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, but it has helped to shape who I am because it has taught me um, a lot of life lessons that to, you know, be thorough in what you're doing. Um, don't be afraid to stand up and talk about things that are important to you. Um, I try and when I speak to students across the country, I try and empower them to use their own voices. Um, but as I went through college and everything, I, I just kept focused on my studies and just tried to do the right thing, did the occasional interview. Um, I, it wasn't as relevant during that point in, in my life as what it is now, um, going back on it, because now I am more of an advocate for free speech, and I do travel and and promote um, on the case and just try and educate the students as well as, you know, adults and college students just about what their amendment rights are and why this is a it's still an important decision and still affects people daily. And that work that you are doing traveling around the country, speaking engagements, does that have to do with your your formal career with with what you do for a living? It really does not. And um, what is it that you do now? I'm a workers compensation adjuster. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess the takeaway from that is that the background in journalism did give me very good formative time on investigating. So when I'm doing investigations for workers' compensation claims, um, I think that helps a lot to really do a very in-depth digging on what I need to know to best take care of the claimant and to potentially um, protect employers as well if there's any fraudulent things going on. Mm-hmm. Well, from what you have shared thus far, what's very clear to me, at least, is that the censorship of student publications, um, adults hold positions that enable them to make all kinds of decisions about what should and shouldn't be published. Um, you know, you've said that you do uh, you do speaking engagements and other activities to to help people understand what their First Amendment rights are. Um, but does that relationship between adults and youth have anything to do with the reason you've shared your story so widely and uh, in so many different ways? 
It does. Um, my own son was censored during his junior year of high school, and the way that things mirrored what, what happened to me is quite ironic. Um, but it's because I saw that happening to my own child that it really made me want to continue to fight for students and advocate for them because threats were being made to the kids at his high school. And the high school that he attended in Springfield, Missouri is, I'm sure, not unlike most schools across the country, how valuable scholarships are to students. And when this advisor um, was telling the kids that if they pursued actions any further, she would revoke letters of recommendation to universities that she had written um, on their behalf. And that was very much a threat to the kids. She also told my son um, that he wouldn't be the editor-in-chief next year. And the point of it is, is the kids should not be afraid to be in a journalism program. They shouldn't be feeling that they need to self-censor them themselves over issues because threats are being made by teachers that don't understand clearly what student rights are. And if we cannot work with kids in the high school to help allow them to critically think and not be afraid of the self-censorship, we're going to end up losing journalists across the country because it, it promotes a problem um, that they are intimidated by things. And that's not the society that we want our kids to be growing up in. Mm. It's also become an issue for um, advisors who are finding themselves threatened with tenure. Um, when I go and I speak at state capitals to work on um, getting new voices laws passed, that I hear so many sad stories where Teachers are just like, I'd rather not teach than be threatened to lose my job. What are we, what kind of environment are we creating if this is what the, the tone is in our high schools or, or our universities? That's not the tone that we need to be setting. They need to be, feel free that they can express themselves, do so respectfully, but also be able to share their word for critically thinking students. We need to continue to build up and support our youth. And that is certainly something that extends beyond the realm of, of journalism and just being uh, a critically thinking and acting member of society. Kathy Kohlmeyer, we're so grateful that you spent some time with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Elaine Cha. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.